And we'll throw to you. Oh, we're recording. Yeah. A. The 1950s. <laughs> A lot of people are like, what the fuck was even that, you know? Sure. You go, you know, jazz. And the people just go, jazz, that's background music. And you go, no, 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 that's because the movie industry has made it background music. Mm-hmm. So you tend to not think about it because it's background music, right? But the truth is, it's like the heaviest, most metal shit, punk rock shit in the world. Right, Sean? That's right. Because yes. what it actually is, is it's not background music. It's music. So get this. Imagine just going to listen to this, not to have this in the background of a bustling city. Uh-huh. You're just staring at it, and this is what's happening. Uh-huh. It's frantic. It's all over the place. It's unpredictable. It's the opposite of what music is or was up until that point. Right. And it's never played the same two ways, right? Hell no. And in a way, that was the 50s, and that's why it's not talked about much. You know, people talk about the television of the 50s, but... Yeah, I miss I miss when the heroin addicts did this instead of just hanging out in tents <laughs> in the streets of Portland. <laughs> <laughs> Eisenhower was president. Hey, baby, most you of got the 50s. two quarters on you. <laughs> <laughs> Eisenhower was president. What, fifty-three? Yeah, to sixty-one. That's right. Yep. Uh huh. And people go, who? Who is even that? That was a president. This is the first Scott-led episode. And we're yeah, this is the first Scott-led episode. That, uh, and you know, the thing is, I think the nineteen fifties are a forgotten time, because the truth is, we are fed the fifties through the media, mm-hmm. uh, television media mostly. NBC, ABC, right? And those things, like all they really have to offer is what they had to offer at the time, which was Leave it to Beaver and all the shit that was on television. And uh, those had censors and it mattered and it was scary to people. And so you got really corny shit. So nobody talks about what was actually happening. They go, no, there's no real art. The fuck are you talking about, baby? Miles Davis started popping in the 50s, right? Mm-hmm. Like real artists, these guys that everybody looks up to. Mm-hmm. So then it gets to uh, the beat generation. No, we could keep playing this. All these goddamn beatniks, right? The beat generation. Jack Kerouac, Allen Ginsberg, two other guys that they had sex with as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's really what it was, you know? Right, right. Oh, yeah, you read yeah. on the road and... Uh, yeah. They took out the gay sex. And the well, they made him. Yeah, he yeah. fought for it. So he wrote, apparently, Jack Kerouac wrote On oh, the Road. Oh, really? In uh, 1951, right? Mm-hmm. That's what he claims. It was three weeks in 1951 on mm-hmm. a big, long mm-hmm. scroll, right? Yeah. The book was actually the length of War and Peace. <laughs> but they cut it down to 323 pages. <laughs> so anyway, what is this fucking jazz song? I don't know, but it doesn't sound... We're back. Anyway, so uh, where was I? Jack Kerouac, right? Right. Kerouac took uh, amphetamines, but they hadn't invented Twitter yet, so you just had to write a book (laughs) instead of like a 50-tweet call-out. Literally. (laughs) 50-tweet call-out of your abuser. Yo, this guy, first off, by the way, he wrote it in 51. The truth is, apparently he started it in like 47. Mm Mm-hmm. Wrote it in 51 and then shopped it around, and just like you said, everybody was like, hey, man. Too much gay sex. <laughs> I'm serious. Look it up, everybody. Hey, really? Yeah. And he was like, what the fuck? He lived with his mom his, this whole time. This mm. got me very excited because I uh, mm. I recently got into jazz. Anyway, yeah. so <laughs> he moved in with his mom. He's like living with his fucking mom, right? <laughs> he's like, he's 35 and it finally gets published in 35. Uh-huh. And it's really because a lot of his homies are vouching for him. Uh-huh. A lot of these other beatniks start popping and they're like he's he's great though yeah and they're like well he doesn't really have much to show for it right right um but the truth is it's he had a book that had too much gay sex in it (laughs) and then finally in 57 they released it without a lot of the gay sex but now you could buy it with a little bit of gay sex is that true because i thought i thought kerouac was like closeted no, the character was... Cl- or I, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm not saying he was having gay sex in it. Other characters were. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. Dean Moriarty. Uh-huh. You know? Batman. Yeah, that's the right. truth. And anyway, you listen to these guys. You listen to like a Kerouac or a Ginsburg, mm-hmm. and And they're fucking cool. Like, I was always... 
I always thought they were losers or some shit. Yeah, uh, but that's mm-hmm. that's a good bit you can do to your friend if they write a book and they want you to read it. You go, yeah, I liked it. There's just too much gay sex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like no, it was about lighthouses. There's no gay sex. No, no, there was a lot of gay sex. I no, thought. I think most. Well, didn't you say the Little Mermaid? Who's told me the Little Mermaid was about being gay or something? <laughs> not, not me. I don't. I don't know that any of that. Yeah, shit. well, the man who wrote the Little Mermaid uh, wrote it. Uh, because he was gay. Uh, yeah, it was like a metaphor. Yeah, for a metaphor for his gayness. Yeah, Ron DeSantis' staffers told Scott that <laughs> the Little Mermaid is about gay sex. <laughs> well, anyway, we got sidetracked. But you know, okay, yeah. so like a story about on like on the road, right? Mm-hmm. So they, there are these people in the fifties, not mm-hmm. just beatniks, um, but uh, you know, many other types who th- they put. Uh, the freedom we apparently have in this country, right? They put it to the test. And and what m- better way to do it than, you know, a fucking car, right? Uh-huh. And the open road, because no one's really explored it other than, like, trying to get work. Mm. But now people are exploring it, trying to discover themselves, you mm-hmm. know? All these other guys, the gold rush, this and that. Now there's people who are just like, I don't know, let me think about myself, right? And have gay secret gay sex. Mm-hmm. And, uh... <laughs> anyway, it it also you know what came with it was guys like Mort Sahl, who this is what the episode is about. It's about Mort Sahl, and um, and also Dick Gregory. and Dick Gregory and, and a bunch of other guys who, for most of my life, I I was actually told, oh, they're not even that funny, yeah. uh, like Lenny Bruce. You know, you go, sure. he's not even that funny. And well, guess what? I've listened to a bunch of it over this last week, and it's funny. Mm. We've we've been lied to. The mm. reason we're told it's not funny is because they're kind of talking about real shit, and not so much Lenny. Lenny Bruce is just very much. It's like he's cursing, and I don't mean oh he's just cursing, but it is he's being arrested because he's saying things that are crass, mm-hmm. um, and so it's a freedom of speech argument. Whereas Mort Saul's issues come from genuinely trying to find truth and pointing out flaws uh, in a country that is trying to tell everybody there is no flaws. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it in a time where he doesn't the- even know him, guys like Dick Gregory, they don't know television's role in the country. Right. All they know is, hey, it's here now. It must be an extension of America and its freedom that we apparently have. Mm-hmm. So let's get to it. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it's not. It's just a propaganda machine. You mm-hmm. feel me, Michael? Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What were you it saying? Was, I felt you, you had a question. Like, what so does how this... does this tie into the beatniks having gay sex with each other? Oh, well, they're just all part of it, you know? <laughs> well, On the Road is... No, really, because yeah. it's a guy... So what, he, he wrote it He wrote it in, in the... Started writing it in 47. This is when Kerouac would ride back and forth throughout the country and stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's a time that's not really talked about. Maybe it is, and I just go, ew. I always went, ew, I don't want to watch that. What's that about? That's fair enough. I mean, we right? should just say with like Dick Gregory and Mort Saul specifically, they're two comedians who were more famous than any comedian can be now because, you know, again, there were three television channels. And so Mort Saul and Dick Gregory were just famous on the three television channels. So you would go on and you would have 50 million, 60 million people watching you. And they got extremely rich very fast. Like in 1961, Dick Gregory was a, a black comedian who was making $5,000 a night in 1961 that, wow. money. Like that's incredible today. Wow, wow. And, you he know, was making that on the road? Yeah. Or he would just, yeah, he would just do a show or do multiple shows and he'd make five grand in yeah. 1961 money. Or like Mort Saul was a millionaire in the late 50s, early 60s. And... Essentially, they both... If I made $5,000 in one night, I would leave my family. (laughs) Essentially, they both gave it all up. Um, Partly after the Kennedy assassination, they both became very skeptical of the official story. Um, Dick Gregory, also with the Martin Luther King assassination, he co-wrote a book with Mark Lane about FBI involvement in the Martin Luther King assassination. But the point is, they both kind of were extremely rich, extremely famous, and they were both presented with the option to kind of stay that way, and they both sh- instead chose to, to, to shake the boat because they were that committed to the truth. Mm. And I think they were both very funny comedians, um, but I guess, you know, with my own kind of obsession with uh, 9-11 and all that bullshit, I do think about uh, them, and I do think about their, uh, in my opinion, genuinely heroic example. Yeah, it makes you wonder, like, uh, you know... 
it, it makes you scratch your head. You look back now and you go, how obvious, though? How is it only these few people bringing it up? And, and that was kind of m- m- part of Mort's reason for continuing to do this was like, no, I meet people. This is what they care about. Mm-hmm. The television is saying that's not what oh, they sure, care about. Sure, sure, sure. It's like, it's like after MLK died, the news just like reporting it the way they want to report it so right. that the rest of the country acts the way they hope they act. You right. know? Um, yeah, so I, yeah, it says actually that Mort Saul, when he started... Uh, it's pretty cool, Mike, because I saw you get sad because you were like, holy shit, they were rich. God damn it. I hate the story of a comedian, <laughs> how it's like they do comedy, they're rich, yeah. right? But Mort Saul has like the stories that you go, oh, great. Like, So I think he started doing comedy in 54 or something like that. Or, and it was just him lying, his mother calling. Like, okay, so here's a story about him where like he... um. He he's trying to get work as a comedian. He doesn't even know how to. So he like rents out a place and does sketches, and then it cl- no one goes to see it. They like lose a bunch of money. Yeah. He his girlfriend. He just like follows her up to or it's his wife at the time, and he follows up to San Francisco, and he tells this person like I'm very funny. Let me do a show. So he goes okay, like uh, do an audition, and he has all of his fucking friends come out and they laugh at him and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he goes okay, seventy five dollars you can like do a show here, mm-hmm. and you know went eventually. And then someone gets sick and he does the show and he bombs all the shows. And mm-hmm. then the guys like want to fire him and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's just he eventually got good. Mm-hmm. But you see, he had to like lie and be a loser. And sure. his mom, that's uh, his mom. This is how he really got big. His mom called a journalist and was like, hey, acted like someone else and was like, hey, or wrote a letter to a journalist and was like, there's this new awesome hot act. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was the nice thing when there were only three channels and like you only had to trick one person. Right. Yeah. Like now you have to trick a lot of people through social media. You have to trick sure. thousands of people. <laughs> you have to trick a hundred thousand people into thinking that you're yeah, good. Well, and then like so uh Mortsal, I guess, you know, coming up through Eisenhower and shit and the McCarthy uh era, um, that's what he would joke about all the time, right? Obviously. Mm-hmm. And they're like legit good jokes. I uh, I listened to a few. They're like genuinely funny, Sean. I don't know if you've ever heard. Yeah. Mm. It's like, it's, I know, I remember listening to Norm MacDonald and he was like, oh, guys like Mort Saul are shit. Like it's, right, right, right. you know, it's too right. political. And then what you right. listen to it now and it doesn't make sense. Right. And yeah, if you listen to it now, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But if you're a guy who's like into history, say, uh-huh. and you, you want, you read old books or you, um, or you watch documentaries about a period of time. Yeah. It's really cool to listen to a Dick Gregory album or a Mort Saul album. Okay. And you genuinely get like a chunk of that time. Like you get like, holy shit. Yeah. This is so deep into that year. Mm-hmm. There's a Dick Gregory album called Live at Kent State. I think it's like ni- it's 1971, mm-hmm. which when did Kent State happen? 70 like or, or 71? Yeah. And it's it's just him being like I wish I could say I'm happy to be here and the fucking cover of the album is the is that dead girl uh from uh you know the Kent State uh you know. Yeah. I thought it's a guy that's dead and there's a girl Crouching she sure over looks the... like a girl that's dead, though, that's laying there. I know what you're talking about, the girl crying. Uh-huh. But there's a girl that's dead on the cover photo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but that's you... just how good of a set Dick Gregory had at Kent State. <laughs> but you can actually listen to that on YouTube. It's like, it's it's good. Like, there's yeah. some parts where you go, what? Yeah. But also the parts that you go, what? It's just hack shit that people still do. Right. You know, like, hey, uh, people in the cheap seats, you can hear me? And you go, why do you fucking, why would you even say that? Uh-huh. But then he gets to some really good shit and you're like, oh, goddamn. You yeah. Know? Um, Mort Saul on, on like, what is that, Steve Allen? Was that his show before Carson? It was Steve Allen? Mm-hmm. Just actually talking about uh, McCarthy and how he was going after uh, everybody for communism and shit. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to see because I was told I wasn't told. They just leave it out. They kind of leave that part out of the 1950s that like Steve Allen or like these late night shows were guys smoking cigarettes being like, hey man, isn't everything bullshit? Yeah. What the fuck is going on? Yeah. Um, and that was so suppressed that we act like the first time people spoke up were like a bunch of hippies and most of them didn't know what the fuck they were saying. And that's what's cool about like a, a, like a Jack Kerouac or something where they, they didn't like hippies. 
They, they fucking rule. Oh. Like they, they're actually. And what's so cool about anyone listening or even you two, like when you dive into a Dick Gregory or a Mort Saul or a Jack Kerouac or even an Allen Ginsberg, like they're, uh, they talk like people that make sense you know Mm -hmm. they're not too far right too far they're like they're not even in the center like they're just practical Mm. in a in in a way that is it's it's from the 50s and i'm going holy shit that's so refreshing yeah and he's like talking about uh eisenhower right eisenhower's jacket or something yeah they call kerouac the the grandfather of the hippies or something like that right but he didn't like that No, he didn't like it i mean he you know but also with those guys you never know like they Mm. They don't want you to know anything about them. Right. So it's like, what is the truth? What's not, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think a lot of them really resent. And mm-hmm. how do you not resent a guy like a, like a John Lennon? Well, Kerouac was like, please tell these hippies to stop quoting me. I'm just a guy who drives a car and has gay sex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus, Lord. The lost Kerouac letters. Well, no, dude, imagine. Okay, I'm just Kerou- trying to get my dick sucked by. Kerou- Kerouac was like how mm-hmm. Howard Stern thinks everyone's ripping him off. He thought the hippies stole gay sex from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but okay, like, like, I'm just trying to get my dick sucked by a 15 year old. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know these, these men' ages at the time, but I'm assuming mm-hmm. they didn't serve in the war, right? Which you no, think, I think they, they would. Miss, I think they but missed it, right? It's like, yeah, Mortsall barely missed it. Right? It's like they all somehow barely miss it. Mm-hmm. And what you get from that is you don't get this allegiance to the war because you right. didn't serve. And so you don't have this blind loyalty. Were they before and the war so, or after? No, they're after the war. After the war. World War II, I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're after. And so they're in the 50s. And so I, and this is totally, I'm guessing, and rambling. No, but did but, they miss the draft or they were too old? Oh, I... I now, Mortsall was too young. He too tried young, to yeah. enlist when he was 15, okay. and then his mom found out, and she oh, wouldn't and let him. Oh, and she dragged his ass out. And then eventually he was in the Air Force, but he wasn't in the Air Force until the war ended. My grandfather did the same thing. He lied about his age to enlist, hmm. and then did. I think that was like a popular thing. Oh, you yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, back before the internet, you just had no idea about uh, Iwo Jima. Yeah, or you could just You could just get a fake ID and then <laughs> go get your head blown off. Dude, there was... <laughs> dude. There should be a story about that, like the mm. nine-year-old who had a mustache who was in <laughs> World War II. That definitely fucking happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a ten-year-old Dominican kid who mm. fought in the war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just like <laughs> he lines up like fifty POWs and machine yeah. guns them all yeah. down. Hey, I ain't freaking yellow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the little rascals. <laughs> Enter World War II. <laughs> he got a fake ID for his dog. Too. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pete yeah he's, on, he's on the MG forty-two and another soldier's chain. Changing his diaper, <laughs> burping him. But I, I think what happens with guys who uh, he's like the sergeant's like, whoa, 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 we don't let blacks in this unit. <laughs> you think he's gonna say he's a kid? But they just send buckwheat to the the other unit. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway, because what happens after goddamn World World War Two? Uh, this is what I know of it: is the Soviets mm-hmm. beat the Nazis. Yeah, and we beat. The Japanese. Yeah. And then the war ends, right? Mm-hmm. And so you go, good job, Russia and the US. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't everybody think that? Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden we're enemies. Mm-hmm. And and Germany is like on our side, right? Um it we're gets, cool with the Germans. It gets split into East and West. Yeah. And then West right. Germany becomes, yeah, part of NATO and the Western sure. alliance. Anyway, anyone who has any sense would go, wait, if what you told us about World War II is true. Shouldn't we be partying with the Russians right now? And mm-hmm. now we win and we mm-hmm. save the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, they beat the real problem. They beat the fucking Nazis. Mm-hmm. Not a uh, goddamn Flavor Flav. Not the hype man. Japan was the hype man of, um, you know, of Chuck D. Well, that was a big Nazi hit. Germany. Okay. Yes. And um, anyway, what was, what was Mussolini then? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know too much about Mussolini. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta look into him. Okay. Uh, but uh, so you would go like, well, shouldn't they be buddies and stuff or whatever? Mm-hmm. And then you realize they're not, and you go, well, then what is happening? Mm-hmm. And people start questioning these things, these cool guys, mm-hmm. and uh, they go, this doesn't make much sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's what a lot of uh, Joseph McCarthy and McCarthyism was, because when the Soviet Union was allies with America in World War II, there was like. Just a lot of like films and or you know newsreels and not glorifying the Soviet Union to American audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, just saying like, hey, here's all they've achieved. Like they industrialized their agriculture is through the roof. You know, it was like a backwards country in the 1920s. And within a decade, they turned it into an industrial power that was the greatest in the world. And so Americans would go to the, the theaters and they would see the newsreels and they would see all that. And they would that see was when the communists took over. Well, that, during World War Two. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, Joseph Stalin, like industrialization in the Soviet Union it was from about 1929 or 28 to 41 until the Nazi invasion. And within a decade, it was a country with almost no industrial power whatsoever. And they became the greatest industrial power of the entire world. And that's but because the, of slaves, correct? Well, because the they collectivized the agriculture, which set off a famine, um, which, you know, people will put various X million people died. I don't think Stalin deliberately did a famine, but regardless, they collectivized the agriculture. So instead of a bunch of, you know, individuals holding their little farm plots, the state controls agriculture now. And once you have the state controlling agriculture, uh, you can centrally direct stuff and that's what allowed them to industrialize. So within a decade, they become the greatest industrial power on earth at that time. And that's the only reason they defeated the Nazis because they were able to build so many T-34 tanks because of industrialization. Holy and shit. when the U.S. and uh, the Soviet Union were allies during World War II, the newsreels and the newspapers and all that would essentially say this kind of thing to the U.S. public. You know, Uncle Joe, as FDR called him. These were our allies. Uh, it was kind of talked about what a miracle uh, the Soviet Union has achieved in state planning and all that. And then after World War II ends and FDR dies, McCarthyism is partly a backlash to all that because a lot of the FDR administration people who were kind of associated with this pro-Soviet Union policy get accused of being communists Um you know, uh, like the Alger Hiss, for example, is accused of, he was like a new dealer. He's accused of spying for the Soviet Union and Richard Nixon makes his career uh, investigating him and all that. So that's like a big part of McCarthyism is everyone who is associated with this policy of like the Soviet Union is good. The Russians are our friends. They help us beat the Nazis is like tarred and feathered as a communist. Everybody has to take loyalty oaths, even if you just want to like write on TV or just, you know, work at a TV station, you have to sign a loyalty oath that mm -hmm. you're not a communist or you've never been a con, you know. And so it's just like, but McCarthy isn't that that was just one guy doing all that. Well, that's the thing, you know, Peter Dale Scott, who I talk about a lot, but he's written about um, Joseph McCarthy was the senator from Wyoming and he got his career going on the Senate or he made his career going on the Senate floor and saying, I have a list of, you know, 50 communists in the State Department or whatever. But uh, 50 men <laughs> had sex with his wife. Yeah, <laughs> very upset about it. Um, but Peter Dale Scott makes the argument that essentially Joseph McCarthy was getting his list from J. Edgar Hoover at the FBI. So it's not like, essentially, Joseph McCarthy was just a senator who was a vehicle for other people who, you know, wanted to create a communist backlash. And he was a good kind of public-facing lightning rod to kind of set this off. And, you know, various people in um, the military or the FBI kind of helped him out and helped out other anti-communists, but it was just kind of, they were trying to circulate this backlash to communism to not only purge all of the people who were not even pro-Soviet Union, but just like neutral or like willing to work with them or, oh, they're still our allies, you know, 20 million Russians died, we should, you know, be friendly with them. Just essentially, they wanted to purge all those people from the government, but they also wanted to launch a propaganda campaign to kind of undo everything that was done and said to the u.s public during world war ii and mm. that's you know it was largely successful well hot damn mm. so then you got you know cool cool cats <laughs> yeah like mort Sell talking about it on television right and he's got a joke he he, <clears throat> he says about and apparently people would argue you know would be like this communist he worked at the hungry eye in san francisco um consistently and what's that you know people it was like a jazz club you know they okay. didn't have comedy clubs at the time so okay. it was just a place for the stage mm -hmm. that he would work at and um he became really friendly with the owner actually eventually i mean we'll, we could just jump around with him but eventually he did um he became uh John F. Kennedy uh, during the election for so I guess he was Senator Kennedy at the time. Mm -hmm. um, John F. Kennedy's dad, Joe Kennedy, yeah. asked um, asked Mort to 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 write jokes for John's uh, campaign. Mm. Uh, you know, and uh, and Mort 
became friendly with him, uh, with John F. Kennedy. You know, so during Eisenhower's run, he made fun of Eisenhower, and Nixon was vice president. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look at that. And so, and so he would make fun of them, you know? Fuck these guys. He knew everything about them, because he, he'd, go he'd go on stage. Look, sorry, we're, I'm, I'm skipping a bunch. And this is another thing. He's such an authentic comic, and so are, is like a Lenny Bruce, that I think we go, they're not funny, they're just talking. Mm-hmm. It's because so much of us are, are so used to jokey, jokey bullshit. Right. Shit, late night shit right. that we've forgotten they are actually telling jokes and they yeah. are, they're just hiding them mm-hmm. so you're listening to Mort Saul and it is a little wordy and some mm-hmm. of it can definitely be removed and there's like an anxiety to it almost where he's like adding he's like too smart for his own good where he's like adding in things he doesn't need to having little sidesteps where he doesn't need to but mm. when he gets to the joke it's way better than m- most people's shit period mm. you know um, so yeah, I mean, we should just say, though, a lot of the listeners might know, but Mort Saul basically invented modern American stand-up comedy. He would just kind of take a newspaper and, you know, read some newspaper articles and bring it on stage and kind of comment on the news. So most of the kind of, let's say, Tonight Show monologue kind of stuff that all comes from Mort Saul. Most modern stand-up com- uh, comedians come from Mort Saul. Woody Allen, who's, you know, his stand-up's still very funny. But he says he only was able to start because he saw Mort Saul. And it was like that inspired him. It feels like a yeah, guy. It, it fe- Honestly, it feels like how Chappelle feels. And I'm not saying like content wise. I'm saying where you go, he's just hanging out talking. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, that's not what's happening. Mm-hmm. He's doing that jazz thing. He's hiding it from you. you right. Know? He's, he's, you think he's being background noise right now and just chilling. Uh-huh. But he's, he's blowing everybody's mind. You know? Yeah. I don't think that's something I could ever do to do comedy that way. And also like... The, gotta be half the idea. Retarded, I think. <laughs> you do. You have to be. You, there has to be some. You have to. You have to have some kind of like crazy ego. I think. I mean, I've seen like I pursued stand up comedy because I saw other people do it. Mm-hmm. But half, who would who would if stand up comedy didn't exist, like who would invent it? Who would be that crazy to be like? There's a room full of people and they all want to hear what I have to say. Hmm. Oh, for sure. It'd I be know. like it would be invented by a guy looking at Instagram and saying, "There's not enough crowd work videos here. Mm-hmm. There's not enough. <laughs> there's not enough people. There's not enough comedians <laughs> asking the person in the front row, yeah. are you two dating? How long have you been dating?' <laughs> and then finding out that it's a friend zone situation and commenting yeah. on that. Yeah. Dude, I'm gonna. Do, I'm gonna. I want to be more brother and sister. <laughs> what are you saying, brother and sister? It's brother and sister. Yeah, there's not enough 30-second clips labeled wacky mix-up <laughs> when brother and sister asked if they are dating just at a comedy big, show. Yeah, just big yellow font guy in the friends. That area. happened to me and my sister in the fr- in a front row. Uh, Did it? Yeah, Julian McCullough was like, are you guys dating? Well, yeah, like, and then no. the comedian said, raise your hand if you fucked this woman and everyone in the club <laughs> except Scott did. <laughs> No, <laughs> dude, I'm yeah, gonna you be. You guys a, have like the exact same face. I'm gonna be Mort Saul, but uh, I bring up a National Enquirer, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I act all serious about it. Yeah. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me with this uh, bat, bat boy. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like the fucking aliens got Elvis again, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, the ghost of Patrick Swayze is harassing uh, Whitney. Uh, uh, well, folks, Jean Benet Ramsey alive and spotted in Wyoming, huh? <laughs> We got to do something about this Jimmy Hoffa on the grassy knoll, all right? This fucking guy thinks he can kill every president. Now, was his act prepared or was it improvised? Um, Definitely some prepared. Mm -hmm. uh, Definitely some improvised. No matter he he does a thing that I love that great comics do. I'm gonna shout out a comic I love very much, uh, Jamar Neighbors, right? Who he has a special that just came out recently. He does a thing that whether it's true or not, I love it. Is he puts himself in it, whether he wasn't in it or not? I guess is what I'm saying. Where mm-hmm. he's like, uh, so Jamar used to have a joke about where he's like, so. Like me, you know, I'm doing a drive-by. Like he has a joke about how he's doing a drive-by with his friends. Yeah, yeah. And you go, no one's, no one's placing themselves there, you know. Uh-huh. And more does it. It's like a little trick, I think, where you go, oh, uh-huh. that's a fun comedy trick. You should uh-huh. people should do that more. Uh-huh. And uh, Mort Saul, his little trick that I notice he does is he credits people with jokes, which like nobody likes to do. So he'll go, then this one reporter said this. Yeah. And since he's like a very serious guy who's been in rooms with the Kennedys and Nixon and Reagan and everybody, 
people like tend to believe him. So he'll be like, and then this guy said this, then this guy said this, and he's giving right, the punchlines. Right, punch yeah. But he's like crediting it to senators yeah. or this person or that but person. But it's like a sketch that he wrote. But it's like a sketch. He, it, it's literally yeah. a sketch he wrote. And, and yeah. what he kind of did was he wrote sketches and, um, and no one ever gave a fuck. Mm-hmm. And he was like, how do I get my plays? His father was a playwright and mm-hmm. then he kind of wrote sketches and no one gave a fuck. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, oh, I'll just do my sketches as monologues. Mm-hmm. And so he'd go up and do his sketches as monologues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like Jamar's bit about how I guess meerkats like make each other laugh. He's like, what if we put our best comedians against the best meerkat comedian? Like, coming to the stage, Dave Chappelle. He's like, and now, let's hear from this meerkat. And he's like, me, 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 So stupid. <laughs> so anyway, he gets hired by, so, you know, in the 50s, he's shitting on the guys who are in power, which is Eisenhower and Nixon, right? Uh-huh. And, then, uh, and then he gets... He, I'm not saying he helps get Kennedy elected. Kennedy is Kennedy. Right. But, you know, he, he helps write his jokes. Yeah, Kennedy it was actually mainly, wasn't... It was mainly the Chicago outfit <laughs> that helped get Kennedy <laughs> yeah, elected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't do Italian erasure on this, uh, on this show. Well, Kennedy wasn't always a great public speaker. He was kind of, like, shy. And when he was in Congress, he was kind of unremarkable. But he lost his brother in World War II. I am a small bean. <laughs> I, I have anxiety and I am neurodivergent. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he lost his brother in World War II? Yeah, his brother died in World War II. So he was like, he gave some speech about losing his brother that that was what made him connect with people. Oh, oh yeah. okay. But he wasn't like naturally charismatic. Huh. Yeah. It took a minute. It took a minute. Well, hot damn. Yeah. Well, anyway, so Kennedy gets elected, you know, mm-hmm. and Mort Sahl starts making fun of Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And, um,. Mm. And John Kennedy. Oh, so he turned dad. on him. So then, he well, turn on him. He just is telling. You. That's what's so on, cool about Mortsal. It's like when 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 you right. when you find out how he's talking to these guys the whole time. He doesn't give a fuck about any of them. Like uh-huh. he's just chilling. He's there to make fun of he's them and write jokes. Laugh, yeah. And then he's like, "I'm out." There, there's a moment where he like he. I, what do you call those things? Where co- comics Roy Wood Jr. just did it. The. Uh, White House Correspondence Dinner, dinner right? Yeah. Th- this doesn't seem to be that, but it's like a clip of him talking to a bunch of um, mm-hmm. important people. And he explains how someone was like, would you like to meet the president? Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how it's like you're a little kid. Like, would you like to meet the president? And mm-hmm. the way he talks about it was so actually funny and so genuine and so like, oh, yeah, this is a guy who could give a fuck if it's the... He he knows the president is just another man. Mm-hmm. So he seems like a real ass dude, mm-hmm. not like a Luis Gomez way, and like right. a you know, and <laughs> like a guy in a real guy way. Yeah. yeah, and so yeah, he didn't turn on Kennedy. He was just he never cared about Kennedy in the first place. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Like he liked him in that way. You know, right. he starts to care about him. We should probably jump to that because we're going really long. But eventually, um, Kennedy apparently doesn't turn on him, but his father does. He starts losing work. Uh-huh. Um, because he is making fun of John F. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Um, his manager who knew Kennedy's dad, Joe, Joe Kennedy, yeah. um, said, you know, hey, the big man's not happy, talking about Joe. Joseph Kennedy. Wow. And he was like, you better stop what you're saying. Or um, What was he making fun of Kennedy for? That's the other thing. It's like horseshit. It's all, none yeah. of it is like scary. Right, right, right. You know, none of it is even as... You know, the McCarthy stuff is like legit, like, oh, wow, I could see a man getting in trouble mm-hmm. for that, you know? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I think Mortzell had a bit uh, that he did where he said, um, he was saying, yeah, like, oh, he's making fun of, I don't know, Leave It to Beaver or one of those shows or doing a parody of it. And he says, and then Jack Kennedy comes in the kitchen and they say, uh, they ask him, what do you want to do when you grow up? And he says, I want to be president. And they said, yeah, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or something, <laughs> joke, Jack Yeah, Kennedy's like he's young. young. It's yeah. like, it was stuff, like, it was so simple mm-hmm. and, you know, pretty generous to him for the most part. Um, also because he like genuinely believed that he wanted to change the country and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, he said, you know, like, it's going to feel like a house fell on you. Apparently, that's what Joe Kennedy told his manager, you know. It would be funny. It's to like more and doing those kinds oh, if of things. if he doesn't lay off. Yeah, and, and, then, and then the Hungry Eye, which, you know, Mort would perform at constantly, got a bill from the government for... Uh, Joe Kennedy being like, I know bootleggers, and I will have you fucking killed <laughs> if you say my son is a young man again on TV. <laughs> yeah, the... Uh, the a hungry eye was uh, had to owe four hundred ninety thousand dollars to the government out of nowhere. <laughs> he um, audited <what>? him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because um, because Mort was making fun of 
John F. Kennedy. But you're saying, did JFK know about that, you think? or Well, so apparently, this is what Mort says. Yeah. So I'm going to, we should post the uh, the link to the documentary that, did I mention that Bill Hicks brought, brought up? There's like this old Bill Hicks, uh, any Bill Hicks fans, there's like this YouTube clip that I'm sure you've watched where he's like being interviewed by like a public, act. it's like a college radio thing, but someone calls in and they're like, hey, you're like one of those Mort Salah kind of guys. And he's like, oh, I actually just watched a PBS documentary. Uh, you know, and he's a real hero. And so I found the PBS documentary. Yeah, any any Bill Hicks fans, it's 90 degrees in the summer, so it's time to take off your trench coat now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I'll post the link to that on the Patreon at the very least. Sure, yes. Yeah. Okay, whatever. There's a PBS Mortsall. There's a couple different Mortsall documentaries. Yeah, but this There's one is PBS hot fire, one. dude. Yeah. And I also watched, you know, we'll talk, if we don't get to it here, we'll talk about it on the Patreon. But I watched, there's a Showtime documentary on Dick Gregory called The One and Only Dick Gregory on Showtime. And um, it's just, it was very funny to me. It's two hours long and it just completely omits and erases everything to do with the Kennedy assassination, the MLK assassination, where it's like, you know, if that was a minor part of his life, I would understand. But Dick Gregory was literally the first person to show the Zapruder film the Kennedy assassination film on television. It's a major historical event Mm -hmm. and Showtime just kind of skips over it or like they don't even skip over it. They just don't mention it. And that's one of those things where Showtime's the show that aired Homeland, which was a collaborative effort with the CIA. Sure. They've aired, you know, the worst documentary in the Afghanistan war I've ever seen, which was just all CIA spooks being interviewed. What's that? Uh, Generation Kill? No, it's called like the Longest War or some some bullshit title like that. I just had Uh to turn it off because it was like supposed to be a a two-hour Showtime documentary about American Afghanistan. And it's just like, you know, first 20 minutes, interview, CIA analyst, interview, CIA on the ground office, you know, and it's just like CIA. What's the thesis of the documentary? Well, I I turned it off because it was like 25 minutes and it was just, you know, rambling. And and it's just like that kind of content just sort of exists to fill... To fill the thing where it's like, hey, I'm bored. I want to watch something about Afghanistan. And then you'll watch it. And then the CIA will tell you a bunch of, oh, it's really complicated. And everybody tried their best. But, you know, things are hard. They're mm-hmm. just going to skip over like, oh, hey, we, we set up like pedophile drug dealer <laughs> warlords. Right. They, everybody is shooting at us because uh, we put pedophiles in power. Right. You know, everyone, everyone on our payroll is like the third largest heroin trafficker in the world and has four little boys chained to their bed and we're right. giving them Viagra so they can rape them. You right. know, so it's just... We thought like, they said they love toys. <laughs> we thought they said they like to have sex with toys. Right. That got lost in the... But, um, yeah, if we don't get to it on this one, I'll talk on the Patreon and give a bit of an overview of Dick Gregory's life. But I just found that really astounding that you can, like, do a two-hour documentary and then just cut out one of the most essential and important mm-hmm. chapters in his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's insane. That's crazy. And getting back to you about if John F. did John F. Kennedy make this happen? Mm. Apparently, no. So, you know, I guess like every president, there's a bunch of people who run to you mm-hmm. and go, hey, I heard someone is doing this. Let me handle it. And it's yeah. just like a thing that someone can go handle to impress yeah, yeah. the president. Sure. And so Mort said, every time he saw John, he said even before he was assassinated, he did a show in D.C. and... Bobby and John went to visit him or, you know, they hung out and talked and they were always very cool. And John understood people with a good sense of humor. He's like very pro John F. Kennedy. And we'll get to that in a few seconds because he's like very pro John F. Kennedy. Mm -hmm. Um, More than these people who turn on him when he starts making jokes about Kennedy Mm -hmm. and, you know, think he's a complete dickhead. Mm -hmm. So now Kennedy gets assassinated, right? And, um... And, and Mort Saul is like, he has some questions like everybody does. But all of a sudden, no one's allowed to ask questions. And what Mort Saul is, he goes up with the newspaper, you know, and talks. So now all the newspapers for like a, a year, two years, all they say is uh, John F. Kennedy was killed. So that's all he's got to talk about. And so he does. And um, eventually a radio station, I think in 1966, 67, a um a radio station asks him to um he reads the Warren Commission the Warren Commission the Warren Commission came out what in 64 yeah so he starts bringing the Warren Commission on stage he makes fun of it stuff like that right this radio station he was working for cuz he still was working um 
uh, on radio, and I think he had like you know a, a show here and there. He would do a show um, on television, but uh, they had him go down to meet this. Uh, Ga- what was his name? Garrison. Yeah, Jim Garrison. Jim Garrison in New Orleans, right? Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, th- this is 1966, 1967. Mm-hmm. They're going, this guy is investigating the JFK assassination. He thinks it's the CIA. Why don't you go down there and interview him? Yeah, you know, like, like a lot of comics do. Like, you know, like yeah. you see every comic put a microphone to someone's face and think they, they figured it out and got him, but they're right. just interviewing. Like They're like, we heard uh, Kevin Costner is going to play this guy in a movie. It might be good for your career to get down there. <laughs> yeah, okay. So ex- I've never seen the JFK movie, but apparently, that, when was that made? In the 80s? 91. 91, okay. Wait, so they sent Jim Garrison to interview Mort Saul? Wait, no. Mort Saul went down to interview, interview Jim, Jim Garrison. Garrison. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he, radio- he knew just about... Because he knows about the JFK. You know, right. he knew JFK. He cared about the assassination. He thinks it's important. Right. But, he was still being, you know, funny, funny enough to still have a radio station and mm-hmm. uh, oh, I'm sorry, a radio show, stuff like that, you know, okay. accepted by some people still. And um, and then he goes down and, and he visits this garrison guy and he wants to help. And he's like, what can I do? And he gets fucking deputized by uh, garrison and he goes to work for him for a uh, quite some while right until mm. like 71 i think or something like that he fought with his own money he interviews people uh you know flies places interviews eyewitnesses of of the murder people who have met um uh, oswald kennedy this and that mm-hmm. um and then i think he got in in a bunch of trouble i, I wrote it down but if do you want to talk about well, he, he yeah. yeah he took depositions and such um mort Saul did i mean he you know he was one of the biggest comedians in the country. And then after the Kennedy assassination, he just kind of put it all on hold to go become an official part of the only criminal trial that was ever done in the Kennedy assassination, that of Clay Shaw, who was indicted by Jim Garrison in New Orleans. Jim Garrison was the New Orleans district attorney, and he indicted Clay Shaw over his involvement in the Kennedy assassination, and Clay Shaw was acquitted, though later we learned he was a CIA agent, and he did... (laughs) have contact with Oswald and these people. But, um, yeah, I mean, Mort Saul, he, he talks later, you know, I really like, um, the, there's a YouTube channel, Our Hidden History. Everything on there is great, but they have um, a fair number of Mort Saul, like, radio interviews, like Scott was mentioning. Mort Saul's radio interviews in the late 60s, early 70s are great because he's just really sharp, really smart. He just doesn't give a shit. And he kind of calls people out very, very directly, like, um, you know, Mort Saul, he says something to the extent of like all these liberals who like loved Kennedy and kissed his ass while he was alive. He's like, well, you're the ones who fuck. You're the ones who liked the guy. And now you don't care at all that he's dead and he's murdered. You don't care yeah. who killed him. You just want to move on. And like Mort Saul says, he, he talks about Bill Cosby and he says, I'm blacker than Bill Cosby because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill Cosby doesn't care about who shot Martin Luther King. But Mort Saul uh, said that? Mort Saul yeah, said that. He's, he's he said, a bad motherfucker. He yeah, says yeah. that uh, James Earl Jones does, you know, he doesn't care because Mort Saul would go on these panel, panel shows and he would bring up, you know, hey, there are holes in this Martin Luther King investigation, you know, or like this does not seem like uh, James Earl Ray acted alone or even pulled the trigger. And he would just go on these panel shows and say it, and, and he would he talks on these radio interviews about, yeah, everyone would just shut down and just, you know, James Earl Jones has to protect his Hollywood career. Right. They're, they're not going to say that, and, you know, Bill Cosby and all that. And so, you know, the guy didn't give a fuck, and uh, he was very committed to the truth, and he cost himself a, a lot of money in it. Yeah, so yeah after, it makes you wonder, like, what if Hollywood was run by good people like instead cool, of, like, cool people? like, the worst people? Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it is something where it's like, with Mort Saul, they just kind of say, oh, he got boring on stage and started reading the Warren Commission, but I don't think that happened. I think this audience still loved it because the Warren Commission was absurd, and you can find plenty of absurdities mm. in it. I think it was just something where they put him on TV a lot less. And um, I think he was still funny. Everything I've seen of him is still funny until like the 70s. Though I will admit Mort Saul by like the 80s, he's kind of starts to get a little tired and hacky. Right. Um, it is it is hard. It's rare that you see political comedy done well. There's I, think, I feel like there's only a handful of people. No, this is genuinely done well. Because yeah. he is so not 
being jokey. If he was being jokey, it would probably suck. Mm-hmm. But since he is more relaxed, mm-hmm. yeah, there's more sentences you have to get through. But mm-hmm. the actual jokes within what he's saying is like they're actually it's great commentary. It's very very funny. Okay, it's like so. Um, so after the Kennedy assassination, he'd go on stage and hold a photo of Oswald being shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he, and then he would say, you know, this is a photo of uh, Lee Harvey Oswald being shot while he was being guarded by 123 members of the Dallas police force mm-hmm. or 124 if you count Ruby. Mm-hmm. So he was saying shit like that. Mm-hmm. And people are like, pow, you're, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, talk about like Sinead O'Connor getting in trouble for ripping a picture of the Pope or whatever. Right. This right. is a guy, you know, showing a graphic photo on stage. And then Joe Pesci went and put it back together and like, actually, Sinead, it's good that those kids were molested. <laughs> Did that happen? Yeah, the week after Sinead was on, Joe Pesci was on SNL and he put the picture of the Pope back together. That's great. Because he's Italian and, you know, it's important oh, that those kids get raped and we're nobody so supports we're them so and believes stupid. them. Well, Sinatra was like, I'm going to kick her ass. <laughs> And so in 1967, I know a hole in the there. desert where there's three hookers already. <laughs> she can go next to it. He, uh, in 1967, he, uh, he had like this show that was supposed to run on Broadway just called, called Mort Saul. Yeah. Um, I guess people don't like being when, when their stuff is chat, when things they believe is challenged. I guess no, people well, are comfortable. Even, yeah. Yeah. I think people just don't like to think about stuff. They kind of people want don't like to, to think about stuff. Up. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but it's too quick of a reaction. Yeah, to yeah, make yeah. any actual sense, you sure. know, it's just like, oh, you're, you know, you're suppressing something. Well, sure. it's what I found. Nerves. I mean, it's what I found so fascinating about both Mort Saul and um, and Dick Gregory is, like we mentioned, you know, most everyone in Hollywood after the Kennedy and after the Martin Luther King assassination, even if they personally were like, that story's bullshit. Well, you know, they got families. They got probably a nice house. Mm -hmm. They don't want to go back and get a fucking day job. They're millionaires. So they're like, we're going to go along to get along. And in my opinion, you see plenty of that today with 9-11 or... Somebody approaches Bill Cosby like, you better shut up about this Martin Luther King assassination (laughs) or no more rapes for you, buddy. (laughs) Or, you know, um, Noam Chomsky, just today it came out. He was, for some yeah. reason, transferring $270,000 through Jeffrey Epstein. That which ca- is like, it's yeah. weird enough you're hanging out with a guy who you know is a registered sex offender. Mm-hmm. Why are you giving him a quarter of a million dollars? Mm-hmm. You know, what the fuck does he have on you? And Chomsky's a guy who's always said, oh, the Kennedy assassination, it doesn't matter, but the government didn't kill him. Really? 9-11, who cares who did 9-11? It was probably the official story. You know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Just like these guys who just back up the official story story and they're well a lot of them are rapists and pedophiles but mm-hmm. not all of them are rapists and pedophiles most of them are probably just even if they question the official story they have a nice nice lifestyle and they don't want to challenge it and they don't want to think about it too much right. and then you do have these rare individuals like Mortsall and dick gregory parenti yeah well parenti yeah michael parenti be a great example but essentially they put their livelihoods on the line like yeah with parenti parenti would have been as famous as noam chomsky he would have had two hundred and seventy thousand dollars to give to jeffrey epstein (laughs) if he just if he just went along but instead he questioned the kennedy assassination he questioned 9-11 and he you know he marginalized himself Mm -hmm. he he these three individuals lost a lot of fucking money. Right. If they just kind of changed their views, they would have made a lot more money. And right. and there was I like to think that me and you marginalized ourselves <laughs> at some point. It is you know? and you know what? I will admit, it is a nice little cope to kind of think yeah, in the back it of your is head a nice like little cope, yeah. you know, if I could just yeah. fucking let go if I if I wasn't so addicted to telling the truth, right, right, I could have right. made it like any of these other suckers. Right. But it you know, so, it's because I love the truth too much. That's exactly yeah. That's why I'm uh, borrowing money from my father. <laughs> but okay, so like, let's just take Mortsall and Dick Gregory. Okay, they made it. They mm-hmm. were, you know, as we mentioned, millionaires in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And they threw it all away. And, what's fa- and they did that extremely brave, extremely rare thing. And what's fascinating to me, it's like, even if you do that, even if you do the right thing, you mm-hmm. use all your power and influence to try to push back against the tide of history and tell the truth. After you die, 
they can still just rip out your legacy and marginalize you. And that's what right. annoyed me about that Dick Gregory documentary is right. like, they just completely cut that part of his life out. Right. It was just like, he's just a generic black stand-up comedian. Nothing right. about MLK, nothing about JFK. And then with Mort Saul... It's almost like they're better off not making the documentary. <laughs> but like, it with, does more damage, right, to his... It yeah. almost like it almost like diminish it like dilutes his legacy. Yeah, to well, make that documentary. Well, that's the thing. It's just they can just hide whatever you did from the next generation, or mm-hmm. they can uh, present it in a particular way. Like with Mort Saul, they just say, "Oh, he was ranting about the Warren Commission on stage." No, he wasn't. He was still mm-hmm. funny, mm-hmm. but he was just talking about things that nobody else would talk about, and that made him kind of persona non grata. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and. That's what he said where it was, you know, there's this great line at the end of the documentary where he's like, if you cut out the middleman, everything's all right. And, Mm. um, you know, he's talking about television or, you know, all these people that are able, were able to blacklist him. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when you do see him on stage, people are laughing and they love him. Him and Dick Gregory were actually touring in like the 90s together. And even like 2017 or some shit they had shows together. I saw or something like that. And wow. I was like, wow, goddamn. Yeah. That is a uh, really, really cool. Yeah. Get your Viagra for that ticket. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's unfortunate that that, that we don't know as much about them because they've sort of been, uh, pushed into the background a little bit and very much intentionally, yeah, you know yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, I think so. It's all, but yeah, the whole time period is like weirdly pushed, yeah. you know, it's all just like, they, you know, everyone really likes know to talk about, about the hippies, and even like Vietnam is like still very much talked about. And I guess, you know, Kennedy being killed was, but n- nothing in detail. Mm-hmm. You know, like n- n- I never knew that people were talking like this about these things. Oh yeah, you know, at yeah. the time, you just right. go, oh. There was just no internet, so it wasn't. I guess it wasn't. It was harder for people to. Yeah, but it is exactly. To, so to suppress these questions that people had, mm-hmm. it's super easy in terms of turning on the television. But if you right. walk around and talk to people, even when everyone's kind of scratching their head, going, "Hey, what the what the fuck happened to the president?" Right, and that's what Mortsall was doing. It was just being a person. Right. Because you know? when nine eleven happened, there wasn't much of an internet. There wasn't enough of an internet for it to be like a. Yeah, no, you know, Spread. we got, remember, I and mean, uh, God bless him, uh, he just, Harry Belafonte just passed away, mm-hmm. but we got that uh, that Taliban song, Come Mr. Oh, Taliban, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. like all we got, the internet was that far was that, after yeah. No, it was a flash 9/11. game where you could hit Osama Bin Laden with various bats. Yeah, and it was yeah. like, come Mr. Taliban. Hand over Bin Laden. Yeah. Hand over Bin Laden, and then, yeah, you just massacre him. Yeah, yeah it was a new ground. <laughs> it was a new grounds game where you could give Viagra to our new allies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, in 1967, so anyway. That you got a bat, and you have to prevent the child slaves from escaping <laughs> to, for freedom and democracy. You know, Joe Kennedy really stuck a dick in him after uh, he started making jokes about John, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Oh, what, was he, a 14-year-old? Jo- uh, John eventually gets killed. Um, Mort starts questioning that, mm-hmm. right? So less and less on television, but whatever. In 1967, he's going to have a show on uh, Broadway, and in it, there's a sketch about the Warren Commission, and then all of a sudden, like, uh, two weeks before the show or some shit like that two days before the show it gets pulled and canceled mm. and the the sketch about the Warren Commission it just used lines from the like there's no written words but lines from the Warren Commission mm-hmm. which I love because South Park also did that with them um, explaining um, Mormonism Mormonism right mm. and it's like this is exact like we didn't change anything mm-hmm. and I love uh, it is such a great way to joke about something it's just handing you the thing yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Richard Nixon or just talking about Joe Kennedy, but Richard Nixon gives some interview in the 70s or 80s and he just offhandedly tells this anecdote like I was, I was on an airplane and Joe Kennedy was there and he was there with a uh, a 17-year-old young woman and I went up to him and he said uh, uh this is my niece. And uh, I know the Kennedys. That was not his niece. <laughs> Dude, Nixon is my mom, I think. Yeah. My mom He was funny when he wanted to be, right? Yeah, yeah Nixon just was a talking funny guy. shit. Just mm-hmm. everybody is just, uh, you know? Yeah. Can you believe them? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah. But also, I mean, you know, he talked about Watergate YouTube compilation. Like, he just talked about everything. That anytime something happened, he would then talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mort Saul. Yeah, yeah. What's the closest? Do we have anybody that working 
similar to that now. Probably Jake Flores, maybe. <laughs> Probably Jake Flores, yeah. 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 Jamie Kilstein. Our favorite comedian. <laughs> Our other favorite comedian. No, probably nobody actually. You know? I mean, maybe maybe Bill Burr a little bit because no. he does seem to. Well, he talks about. He's just like making jokes, some, though. You know. I well, think. you know, Jake Flores was the first yeah, comedian to just like bring a wooden board and some nails on stage, <laughs> props, and riff on that, and kind of do bits with that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I saw him. I saw him working that out, and I feel like he really nailed it. <laughs> uh, Sean, on the Patreon, didn't you bring up uh, Garrison on the last Patreon? Because Mike is doing shows in New Orleans this weekend. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and it, we started making it, fun of you, and then it turns out we do a whole episode about Jake, more Jake Flores. He's more of a he's more of a screwball comedy <laughs> type of guy. Oh, screw! Yeah, I get it. <laughs> Jake I'm gonna text Mullen that. There was actually yeah, a crazy. Jake Flores is there's a there's a Roger Ailes is the the guy who ran Fox News before he died, but he he knew Mort Saul or he said once he went and like sat down with Mort Saul and just saw him like read the day's newspaper, mm-hmm. uh, you know, over lunch or whatever, and he said he went and saw him that evening and he had like a full night's worth of material just on that newspaper. Good. I'm and I'm it, glad you said that. You know, and it's like Jake Flores can do the same thing when he walks into Home Depot. <laughs> And just gets like a nail gun and like <laughs> just various oh, things to put through his testicles. He can have a whole night's material on that. Yeah, it's like it's like he's he's doing carpool karaoke with James Corden, and they're just going to Lowe's. <laughs> How does he hit these high notes? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Oh, oh, but uh, they're just on their way back from Ace Hardware <laughs> after getting some props. I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, in terms of his material, so I guess wherever I forget where the fuck he lived and eventually died, but uh, he would go to the local like bodega newspaper place, and uh-huh. the guy said he would come every other day, yeah. and spend between thirty to forty dollars on newspapers and magazines every Why? other day. Yeah, he'd buy. A variety of just no matter what it was, he'd buy it, uh-huh. which I guess also includes like the n- fucking uh, nudie mags and shit, right? Mm-hmm. And um, but he would he would buy up everything, and then the guy said Mort. It was the only customer he would allow to do this. Mort would pay at the end of the month because mm. he would buy so much shit. But yeah, thirty to forty dollars every other day in papers and shit, and he would read them, um, and then those were his jokes. And and it's not like oh this like. It's actually funny. Actually, a guy. It's on, yeah. it was probably like watch, going to see a podcast because it's just a guy talking about whatever happened that week, you know. Right. Um, you think, but he didn't he curse. He didn't curse, which is interesting. No, uh-huh. it's. I, I think a big difference between Mortsall and a podcast is Mortsall does research and show prep. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is. <laughs> no, we did. Decent. We watched a documentary, and Scott. Yeah. yeah. Also watched a documentary. Yeah, I had a lot of gay sex uh, <laughs> to 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 research the. Are you reading on the, the road the right cool now? Jazz of the 1950s. Yeah, yeah. I'm reading on the road. I'm reading Bound for Glory by Woody Guthrie. Wow. And I'm still trying to get through Notes from Underground. I'm reading a few other things, but this is all I had. I remember day. I read on the road in high school, and I like got in a fight with my dad because I I wanted to eat a slice of pie for lunch, and my dad said no. What is that? Because he to eats do pie. He road? eats apple pie. He eats apple pie for like oh, all his okay. meals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I was like, oh, I can't eat pie because. <laughs> it's like I can't eat pie because pie is uh, actually a metaphor no. for dude's assholes. Yeah, your dad. Right. So knew. your dad was saying that. <laughs> your dad knew yeah. apple pie was a code word at the rest stop <laughs> off I ninety five. My dad just ripped up the book in front of me. Said, dad, no. <laughs> but you know, you got to read this like all jazzy and shit, or otherwise it's like annoying. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You gotta, you gotta make sure you're only around other white people. When you read it, you have to segregate yourself to really get in the mindset. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just... You should read it in Bushwick. Well, dude, that's what... Yeah. You know, so, like, Jack Kerouac, I mean, to wrap up this episode over fucking long... We didn't even talk about Kerouac. We talked about uh, Mort Sal. But yeah. I never knew, like, what beat meant, you know? And yeah. one was one of the guys they bought drugs from. Uh-huh. He'd be like, man, I'm beat. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's also beat something which is, like, a type of... I wrote it down somewhere... Beatification, which is like it's it's the type of like uh, the type of beauty that 
people who see like who experience heaven get to feel mm-hmm. but anyway um jack kerouac uh explained it as uh, like compassionate or something like that or of uh like they uh what, what is that word that they use in um in, in bohemian rhapsody i don't know my, come on. Scaramouche. He says, don't, uh, don't, come on, there's a word in it. A word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fandango? No! Uh, there's a lot of words in Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, come on, don't, you know. Just it's use like an a, English word. Use a synonym, Scott. No, I'm trying to bring Bohemian Rhapsody into it for no fucking reason. Anyway, what was I saying? What were we talking about? Beautification. Oh, anyway, yeah, all these guys had fucking money, which I didn't know. They all like Mm. kind of came from money, and that's what a beat is. What it seems to me, why you when when he was like, you got to be around white people to read it. Uh It's like white people who are uh, who were sympathetic to the plights of others, you know, whereas like that had never existed before. And then they were like, hey, we're beats. We're people who, uh, you know, Mm. it's not sympathy. It's not sympathize with. But it's in, it's, I need no, come on. It's in Bohemian Rhapsody. Anyway, plug your New Orleans dates. <laughs> Mort Sal worked in New Orleans <laughs> That's uh, great. and solved the Kennedy assassination, but no one wants to talk about it except us. <laughs> Out for smokes. Our Patreon will be discussing Dick Gregory. All right, well, I will be in uh, Lafayette Friday night and New Orleans Saturday night, and then I'll be in Austin, Texas on Sunday night. And you can get all those tickets at MikeRacineComedy.com. And guys, why don't you join us over on the Patreon? We're going to continue this conversation about uh, about Dick Gregory and Mort Saul, and we'll yeah, see you over there. Wait, wait, I'll go through Dick Gregory's biography, a bit of that on the on the Patreon. But, you know, I do wish the listeners could see whatever Scott's show notes look like. Yeah. That kind of, you know, it, it went pretty well for a while. And hey, then these it's just, were really good show notes. And then it just ends with, uh, yeah, just kind of like stall for two minutes while you try to remember the lyrics to Bohemian, <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody. <laughs> Wait, so the word... there was a big word yeah. you didn't no, know. No, the word it. in Bohemian Rhapsody is sympathy, but it's not... It's not. It's <laughs> got the word so, sympathy. Dude, Google is so fucking... Du- Google has become dumber than us. Ready? So I, I just typed in Bohemian Rhapsody lyrics. So now I'm writing, what did Kerouac say? And I'm going to say... Uh, Beat meant, right? But they go, what did Kerouac say about Bohemian Rhapsody? Mm. Google, you didn't say anything about it. He's fucking dead from alcoholism by then. Well, if you want any evidence that weed is getting stronger, uh, we saw Scott hit a vape and then forget the word sympathy existed. <laughs> He's a fucking lie. Now it is about being poor? Bullshit. It's a bunch of rich kids, man, who are sympathetic to the plights of, you know. Okay. All right. Well, I'll see you in. I'll see you in uh, the fifties. Patreon.com. Patreon.com. We're talking Dick Gregory. More smokes. jazz. We'd love to see you over there. See you on the Patreon, everybody. Uh, bye bye.